this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about some characteristics of mentally tough tennis players and mentally tough athletes in general. Um, the way that uh, Brian and I have sort of a different take on this topic in terms of uh, how we start to break, break down uh, some of the, these key characteristics and key attributes. Um, but yeah, Brian, I guess um, in terms of how we start, is there a certain, um, a, a certain way that, that you start to break down um, your list in terms of what makes certain tennis players um, more mentally tough or able to you know, compete at a higher level um, day in, day out? Yeah, I think, you know, when I think of attributes of mental toughness or even whether they're character traits or behaviors, I think we're going to probably lump a lot of that all together. Um, I do think of a certain level, and I'm going to go over probably four or five, and I may put a couple together just kind of to blend them to show a bit of a continuum there. Um, But I do believe that there are certain, you know, and there there are probably more attributes, Josh, than what we're going to talk about. You know, there's mm-hmm. a famous study from the early 2000s. Um, the name escapes me, but it was something like, you know, what is this thing called mental toughness? And in there, the, the idea of the study was to survey elite athletes and ask them what they thought were the most important attributes of mental toughness. And they came up with about 12 different ones. Not all of them, you know, were at the same level of priority and importance. So, you know, I think you and I are coming at this with maybe four to five there are probably more, but I think I'd rate these at, at the highest level. And so I'm going to start with what I think is, um, for me, what I've experienced and what I've observed, I think is one of the more important um, attributes, which is respect and really more about respect for others. And I like to break this down into different categories of, of respect and, and for whom. Because a lot of times when you talk to people about respect, they leave off one audience, and that is the opponent. They'll very often talk about having respect for coaches, respect for maybe family or parents, respect for the game. Um, I would also say we need to throw in respect for facilities, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but respect for opponents is really important. And... Um, because I guess the opposite of that is, you know, is thinking you should win, thinking you will win. The, you know, and we've all said it. We've all said, oh, you know, I should win this match. Or we've probably said to some of our teammates, oh, you know, you should, you should win that match. And that statement can often be quite dangerous. Because as soon as you say it, or as soon as someone says it to you, what happens is expectations are now increased. And, you know, as we know from our one of our previous episodes when we talked about Iga Sviantek, you know, we want to try to keep expectations low, but our standards high. Um, and so we want to make sure that when we're going into any match, we understand that we have to give our best effort. So one of the things I like to work on with, with players is um, a formula that I have derived from watching a lot of pre-match interviews. And you'll see this from almost any player, any top player, when they're asked about an upcoming match. And so the, the formula falls into three parts, Josh. So the first thing that these, pe- these players do 
and they may not fall in this order, but it, it will come out in the interview, is every top player almost always says something nice about the opponent. Right. Absolutely. Right. So they'll might say, hey, you know, hey, so-and-so is playing with a lot of confidence. He had a good week last week or, or something like that. Right. So they'll always say something nice about the opponent. And we can always do that, no matter who we're playing. We can even just say, hey, that person fights, or they always give their best effort, whatever it is. So we can start off our thinking about a match you know, with that. Um, the next thing they do, after they say something about that, about their opponent, they bring it back to themselves, and then they say something positive about their own game. It's like, but you know what? I'm playing well, too. I'm feeling confident in my game. You know, I've been having some good practice sessions this week. My energy is good, etc. Right, so you say something nice. And then the last piece is you bring it back to something that you can control and maybe have a good perspective of something like, you know, the match starts from zero. We'll see where it goes, but, you know, I'm going to go try to play my best, give my best effort. And, you know, at the end of the day, we'll see, see what happens out there. And through that formula, now what you're doing is you're, you're taking it about, you know, saying something positive about the other player, positive about yourself but then bringing it back to something you can control. And if you watch most pre-match interviews, you're going to see some flavor of this, right? Would you agree, Josh? Absolutely. No, I, I think that's a great, a great way to break it down. Um, I, I think of Nadal in terms of how he often is so generous in crediting his opponents, um, talking about you know how, how well they've been playing and talking about how if he even wants to have any sort of chance in this upcoming match, he needs to you know play his absolute best and fight every point. So that that piece that you're talking about about something you can control, he'll often bring it back to you know performing at a high level, um, point in, point out, um, and you know not overlooking anybody, taking every opponent seriously. So um, I, I think that's a great point it, to me. Um, and you know, th- this is certainly something that happens, um, maybe in the tunnel leading up to a match, if, um, ESPN or whoever tennis channel, whoever interviews a player and they're, they're talking to the camera, they're talking to the fans, but I, th- I would say they're, they're also talking to themselves to a certain extent. Um, it's, Hey, I'm, I'm respecting my opponent. I'm taking this opponent seriously. I don't want to overlook anybody. If I overlook this upcoming opponent and I think maybe in, you know, some in our audience have had this experience when you overlook somebody and you don't give them that um, respect or that, that seriousness that they deserve, then you're not going to be mentally ready when, when they start to fight back, when they start to, to play well. So I I think, you know, each of those three pieces are as, as more than anything talking to themselves, Hey, let's, let's uh, focus on what we can control here. I have a lot to offer, but so does my opponent. Let's uh, let's fo- focus on really what I've been working on day in day out, and let's um, be the best possible competitor I can be. So I, re- I really like that breakdown. Yeah, and I think if you're a coach or or even a sports psych professional, you could practice this interview technique, and you don't pretend you're the you know you're Darren Cahill from ESPN, and you ask your student or player what he or she thinks about today's match. Yep. And have them use this formula to, to, to talk about it. And then, as you said, talk to themselves that way, you know, in the lead up to the match, whether that's a few days before or the day of, that type of thing. Um, because, uh, you know, even if there is a matchup, let's say, where it's, it's very lopsided, 
know, and you're the one who is, you know, the, the better player. Um, what kind of message does it send if you go out there and you're sort of joking around and, um, you know, not giving your best effort, clearly um, not respecting the other opponent? And I had this situation with actually with a couple of college teams um, where this happened. Actually, there were like three teams involved, sort of one team in the middle that had played a team that was, you know, much worse than them and then played a team that was much better than them. And, uh, you know, what ended up happening is that team in the middle, they disrespected the team below them, saying they were so bad. And then, the, of course, because of that, they didn't play very well. Right. And then they played the team above them. And the team above them said they were so bad. I was like, all right, how's that feel? Right? There's always going to be somebody better, right? So as soon as you start treating somebody like they're lesser than you, well, realize that how does that feel if somebody did that to you? So we want to be aware of that. So I think really after we talk about the opponent in this way, the best way to show respect for your opponent is to give them your best effort. Even if it is a lopsided thing because now you're showing them a little bit about how it should be done you know what professionalism looks like from a good player um, and, and you end up probably winning more efficiently that way as well so i'll go through the rest of the respect stuff a little bit more quickly but but i thought that's to me that's when we're talking about mentally tough competitors in the sport of tennis we really have to foster much more of a respect for the opponents I think, you know, when it comes to respecting coaches, it's about listening to what they say, you know, looking them in the eye. It's if they ask you to try something, you do it wholeheartedly. Um, and again, giving your best effort is probably a way of showing respect for everybody out there. The same with, um, you know, teammates, parents, friends, family, giving your best effort, being grateful for their presence in your life. Um, from a facility perspective, I think this is a really important one. Uh, especially with college teams, because sometimes college teams come in and they're kind of like a tornado. They lead a lot of stuff around. Um, uh, there should be an attitude of leaving it nicer than you found it. Yep. You know, and I will often show, I don't know if you saw this picture, Josh, of the, the Japanese um, men's World Cup soccer team when they played in Russia in the 2018 World Cup, right? They cleaned their, their locker room as if it had never been used before left a little placard saying uh, spasiba, thank you, in Russian. And their fans were cleaning the stadium after they left, right? So um, that's a way of, you know, showing showing some respect for that. And I think, you know, we can respect the game itself by doing all of, the, all of those things. Um, but I think we also respect the game, and you tell me what you think about this, Josh, by sharing, you know, your love for tennis with others. So, like, not saying things like, I hate tennis and, and – sort of those negative statements because it's not true. You're just being emotional about it. But but talk about how much you like tennis. Love it. You're grateful for it. Maybe even try to share it with other people. Yep. So I think those aspects are of, of respect are important. But when it comes to the competing part, I think the opponent piece is the most important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 uh, I'm glad that you brought up that point about respecting the game and respecting the sport that you're playing and how – um, each piece of this, whether it be the opponent, whether it be your teammates or coaches or yourself, um, parents and, you know, other, other members of 
the support staff, um, but how that all really falls into respecting the game, respecting the sport that you're playing, that you've you know devoted your time to, and how that you know can include um, sharing that with other people and sort of passing that on to whether that be the next generation through coaching or through mentorship um, or just the people around you, um, you know your your teammates. Um, so I, I I think that that's a great point, um, and yeah, I, I I like that breakdown a lot. So the next thing I have, um, and I think these are somewhat in a progression, although maybe, maybe not, but the next attribute that I think is really important for being a, a, a mentally tough competitor in this sport is um, love of learning, that you have to be a student of the game. In fact, you have to be able to put yourself in the position of being a student, um, and that, you know, there are mentors out there, there are coaches, there's the game that itself that you can learn from. And I think if we even look at our own tennis careers in a less egotistical manner, detach ourselves a little bit from it and look at it more as a project, whether it's like a science project or some other sort of project, and you're simply working on it. You're simply trying to make it a little bit better. Maybe you look at it as a piece of art. And you're trying to make it more beautiful. However you want to conceptualize that, can you look at it as a project? And part of the project is you learning more and more about the game. Um, that can be on the technical side, tactical, strategy, the mental, the emotional components, um, all the physical energy aspects that go into the game, learning more about equipment. Right? Simply being a student of the game can help raise your level. Um, even, you know, and when I think about equipment, I, you know, just think about like string, you know, lots of players don't necessarily pay attention to their string. I mean, a lot do, of course, but, you know, string can really make a huge difference in, in performance of play. So we want to, I think, be, be a, a student. And I think when we're talking about in a match, we've also got to be a student in terms of, can we be good problem solvers? Yep. Because I think it's a huge, huge part of it. So what are you learning in a match? You know, you might be observing your opponent, observing the patterns that your opponent is playing. Or if you're playing doubles, you know, what is their strategy? How are they, how are they making you uncomfortable? And then understanding some of that stuff and then making some adjustments. So I think when we come to the practice court, we've got to want to learn. When we even come to a competitive situation, we have to look at it as a learning opportunity. Um, I think, you know, in a previous episode that we had with Jorge Capistani, he talked about competition as like being quizzes or tests that you might experience, you know, through a semester in school. And that each quiz or test gives you a better sense of where you are right now as a student. And that's, that's I think, a really great way to look at it. Um, and then that doesn't get us so caught up in the ego or so caught up in just like, I have to do great in this one tournament. It's about your career in general, about your project as a tennis player. So what are your thoughts on, on that, Josh? I, 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 yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I think um, in terms of being a constant learner, I think there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, you mentioned a number of them. Um, for me, for especially with younger players, I think, um, and, and for all players really, um, but I think you you see it more with um, you know with, with adults 
maybe with, with juniors at times you don't see it as much, but um, really following the, the prof- following and watching and learning from the professional level of the sport, yeah. um, being able to watch, you know, the best players in the game. Um, and in terms of, in terms of everything, in terms of how they compete, in terms of what do their strokes look like, in terms of their tactics, in terms of how do they behave, um, and maybe they're not always the best example at, at times, at moments, but um, being able to watch and learn from them and emulate them to, to a certain extent. Um, I think that's a big one. I think learning from books, I think there's, you know, in the year 2021, there are so many great resources out there, um, learning from books, from videos, but um, yeah, being a, a true student of the game, um, I like that you, you brought up the equipment piece as well, whether that be strings or rackets, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I think thinking of each aspect of your performance um, and, uh, you know, constantly thinking about how, hey, what could I be doing a little bit more here. Am I, am I really putting in the thought in terms of my equipment? Am I really, um, you know, putting in the thought in terms of my, um, hydration and nutrition that I could be, you know, are there certain areas that, um, you know, and being able to take a critical look at yourself and say, are there certain areas where I'm, I'm falling short, where I'm not doing everything in terms of giving myself the best chance or even learning enough about the topic. Maybe your nutrition isn't, up to a level where it could be because you simply haven't learned enough about it or you haven't spent enough time really thinking it through or talking about it or um, finding out what option works best for you. So I think, um, you know, truly learning and engaging with each of these different areas of the sport is, is, a, is a really important point. Yeah. And I think um, you, you make a good point there, Josh. It's really just about once you learn those things, just go for 1% improvements. There's yep. a, you know, some great articles written about the Great Britain um, cycling team. Yes. How they pursued, right, this this, uh, they had this effort about only like 1% improvements and they looked at all areas of their process and they weren't a particularly good cycling team, but now they have become one of the more dominant cycling teams by simply treating this as, in a way, a project and learning more about it and just making 1% improvements where they could, right, so... Um, yeah, to me, that's that's a big part of being a, a mentally tough competitor in, in, in tennis. Um, the next thing I'll bring up, so kind of coming to the second to last, is um, I think focus is an extremely important part of being a mentally tough competitor. Um, and I think we can break down focus into probably two dimensions, maybe more. I mean, yeah, there are more, but I'll, I'll break it into these two, you know, one, being more focused on the present moment and being focused on what you can control. Um, you know, there's certainly, you know, if we get it academic, we could look at internal, external, broad, and narrow. I don't think that that is totally necessary here. But I think if, you know, when we look at being focused in the present, this is why, you know, people like you and me and other coaches talk about having an in-between point routine so that you can be, you know, 100% focused on what you're going to do in the present moment, in the next point. Um, and a big part of that is understanding the things that you can control, you know, whether they're on the court, you know, what's going on out there. You can't control the wind, the heat, the sun. You can't control what your opponent is doing. Um, but you can control how you react 
to all of those things. You can control your attitude toward those things. Um, you can control your actions, your body language, how you breathe. And this is, I think, um, you know, when we talk about focus, this is sort of the beauty of that, that mantra of keep expectations low and standards high. Standards is all about the stuff that you can control. And if you can bring excellence to all of those little things, that's really where winning starts. You know, good performance starts by you paying attention to those little things that you can control. And then, you know, what's something that we can control? We can control what we do between points. And we have those types of routines between points because we know that they facilitate excellent focus on the moment. So they kind of work hand in hand. I think it's a little bit cyclical. We're focusing on what we can control. We do a routine, keeps us in the present moment, which also helps us to focus better on what we can control. Yep. Right. And then we, and then we, we, we go from there. So I think, you know, having a, 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 you know, maybe this also goes back to love of learning, Josh, is by understanding the process of performance better, learning more about it, we probably are better able to focus because we understand the things that, you know, we can tweak and the things that are actually out of our control. So I think that this, the ability to be fully focused, fully in the moment and understanding what you can control is really important, especially during a, um, a difficult match. Yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting way to break it down, um, and, and and different from how focus is often broken down into, as you said, the, the internal and the external. But um, thinking about you know that that present moment, that mindfulness piece that we've talked you know about yeah. before the show, but also you know focusing on those things within your control and not getting distracted by all these other variables. That bad call or that call that you think is a bad call from. The, the previous game on deuce point or the, you know, the wind or, um, you know, w- those, those thoughts that they keep coming back in, in your mind or, or whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, being disciplined enough to keep coming back to, Hey, what can I control or being disciplined enough to keep coming back to that present moment and not thinking about the past or thinking about the what ifs of the future, but, um, those two big pieces in terms of what can I control? What is, what, what is in within my abilities right now to influence within this match, within this competition? And am I keeping all my attention on the now, not what's happened or what might happen? So I, 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 yeah, I, I think that that breakdown is, is helpful, um, for, for competitors in terms of, be thinking about where they're placing their focus and being aware of where that focus is. Is it within one of these two areas? Is it being upset about the lineup in a, in a team competition or, Oh, why am I playing doubles with this person? Um, or what, what, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, I, you know, why is, why is it so windy today? I can't play in the wind, that, that sort of thing. Um, but instead, let's focus on those things that we can do, give us the best chance to win, and let's really try to hone in on this moment and this point. So I think that's a great breakdown. I th- and if we go back to Jorge Capistani, it's, this is really that win thing, right? What's important yeah. now? And um, I don't remember where I read this. Maybe you, maybe you remember this, Josh, but there was a similar concept that um, Pat Summit, the legendary women's basketball coach at the University of Tennessee, 
she used to have this red whistle, I think. Maybe it was orange because Tennessee's orange. Um, and whenever she would blow it, she would point at somebody. And the question yeah. they had to answer is, what's important now? Right. And they had to have the right answer. And, and, um, and so that's a, you know, it's an interesting way of training players' awareness is to you know, ask them in a big moment, okay, what's important now? And some of the things that you were just mentioning aren't important. You know, like what the opponent is doing or what happened two games ago or last point or, or the weather. None of that's important. And yep. so I think that's a good way of, of breaking down, down focus. All right. So my last uh, blended piece here of our model of mental toughness and different attributes is I'm going to say that I think you need to have a blend, a healthy blend of humility and sort of unshakable self-belief. Um, and they may come in at different contexts, right? So humility meaning, you know, being humble, not being arrogant. So I think you have to be humble enough to learn, right? If we go back to love of learning, um, I think you have to be humble enough to not think you're better than other people, which may also come into our respect category a little bit. You have to be humble enough to give your opponents credit for when they play well. You know, it's not about making excuses. So I think a big, about, big thing about humility and being humble is not being egotistical about this process. Um, and that you're, you know, from even from a coaching standpoint, you're willing to be the student. You're willing to put yourself under someone. But when it comes to, you know, going out and actually performing in a match, you know, humility might not be exactly what we, what we need while we're playing. You know, we need this self-belief. Now, that is a little bit about ourselves. We need this piece that says, I can win, not I will win, not I deserve to win, or I should win, but I have the ability to win. Like I have the, you know, probably would call it in sports psychology, self-efficacy. I believe I can win. No matter the situation, right? Six oh five oh, down. You still want to believe you can win. Still believe you're in it, you know. And technically, from the way tennis is scored, you are. You know, uh, certainly some of the people listening, they may be playing matches that which have time constraints, and therefore that's a whole different thing. You know, if you're down six oh five oh and there's ten minutes left, you don't have a chance of winning so um but in an under normal match circumstances you know you're, you're still still and so when we have that self-belief hopefully that's also leading to this maybe almost like super confidence that you can play your best under pressure that you trust your game um and now this might sound a little bit like i'm contradicting here but Part of that study on the, you know, the, the attributes of mental toughness when, when unshakable self-belief was discussed, there was on the part of the most elite athletes this feeling that I am better than my opponent, like that I can win, I can beat him. And Djokovic actually said this in a press conference he did after the Wimbledon final when he beat Federer in five sets. And that, that was the match where Federer actually won more points than Djokovic. But he was he, Djokovic was essentially talking to himself in that fifth set. And one of the things he said is 
he was reminding himself that he deserved to be there and and that he was better than the other guy. So in a way, um, it sounds like it's a little bit of arrogance, but I think the way he translated it was, I have the ability to win this match. So like a lot of things in, in, in mental toughness and mental skills, there's this sort of very fine line. Sometimes there are little contradictions that we have to, to navigate here. And that's why I think we have to have the right blend of, of being humble to you know having this really unshakable self-belief, but not letting it descend into lack of respect and arrogance. So it's, it's a tough one to maneuver around, I think, in some ways. But but important to understand the differences between the two. Yeah, yeah, uh, def- definitely like that. I think you know there there's a fine line between cockiness and confidence at times. Um, but you know, I, I think I think really the difference is confidence is um, being having having belief in your own abilities. And, you know, I, I think that is a good point that you, you do want to have the belief that you are capable of, of outperforming the other player. Um, but the, the, where the cockiness can come in or that line that we don't want to cross is saying, you know, is, is almost that ego piece is saying that I'm, you know, I'm better regardless. This is going to be, I, I think that's where you start to overlook the opponent. Um, yeah. Sort of that, that first piece relating to respect where if, when the ego starts to come out, when the cockiness comes out, it's, I should be winning this match. I should be winning this tournament. I should be the number one player in whatever the region, the country, whatever it is um, where that that's really that cockiness piece coming out. But I think it's, you know, the humbleness and humility to treat everybody with respect, but, but at the same time, having the self-belief that you are capable of winning any match in any you know, coming back from any sort of situation that you're in. Um, so I, I, I think it's a fine line and I think it's, um, I think it can be challenging to sort of straddle both, both sides of that. Yeah. But, um, but as you're saying that Josh, I feel like maybe the difference is in the actions that one takes in those different circumstances. Right. So, you know, um, the player who's maybe a little too cocky, a little too arrogant, maybe they are feeling that sense of entitlement, right? Um, where the player who's doing what we're talking about here, even if they're in a difficult situation, what they do is they continue to fight or they, they up their fight, their determination, their effort. Um, they don't start to um, you know, feel sorry for themselves or make excuses or, or whatever, right? They put it into action. Yep. And, and the, uh, so I think that's, that's the difference. That's how we navigate this um, is, is coming down to doing those right behaviors that enable us to win and, and, and not make it about the ego, make it about the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's my model. So uh, just to maybe recap, we talked about respect, especially respect for opponents, talked about love of learning, being a student focus, present moment, things you can control, and then the sort of continuum blend of humility and unshakable self-belief. So now, I know you did your dissertation on this whole thing, Josh, so I'm very interested to hear you know, about the different attributes of 
being a mentally tough competitor that that you're going to talk about yeah yeah and it's a little bit of a background um for my for my dissertation from cal state long beach um for my master's i i interviewed 11 um had an assistant uh division one coaches tennis coaches on mental toughness within college tennis and uh sort of broke it down into a few different areas in terms of how they define mental toughness what are some attributes of a mentally tough tennis player um, and then some strategies to, to build mental toughness. And actually, as we were um, talking about the, as Brian and I were talking about this episode, I, I was looking back at this um, to, uh, you know, sort of jog my memory to sort of help me craft my thoughts in terms of um, what area to go in. And I, I, I really took it from, um, from, from this research and, uh, I, I break it down into three three areas that that were common themes from um, the coaches that, that were interviewed, um, as well as really my own experiences um, as a sports psychology professional and coach. Um, but I I sort of had a sort of a, a different perspective where your um, Brian your your list was more, and we discussed this a little bit more character traits, um, where my my list was more of um, attributes you could say. Um, but really my, my first attribute or that, that first area is resiliency and the ability to really respond and to handle any sort of adversity. Um, now we've talked about this on the show before that in a tennis match, even the best in the world, the, you know, number one player Djokovic or, um, Ash Barty or whoever it is, um, they don't win 90% of, of points that they play on a given day. They don't win even 75%. Um, they're actually winning just slightly over 50%. They're winning somewhere around 55% maybe for, for the number one player in the world. Um, so on a micro level, in terms of within a match, there it is undeniable and um, it's guaranteed that you will experience adversity through, throughout a match. There will be the ups and downs. There will be that time where your serve is broken or you're fighting off break points. Um, and, you know, the, there, there will be the ebbs and flows of a match and the ability to respond to that adversity during a match um, is critical in terms of being the best competitor that you can be. So on a micro level within a match, that's um, that, that to, to me, that's, that's critical, but also at a more macro level at the course of a season, the course of a year, in the course of a career, there will be adversity that, that you overcome. Every person experiences their own adversities in life. Every athlete experiences adversities, whether that means an injury that they um, encounter, whether that means a teammate that they have disagreements with or a coach that they have disagreements with or a spell of time um, where maybe they're going through a slump or having some particularly challenging matches. Um so the adversity at a larger level, at a more macro level, is um, is is bound to happen um, as well, just as it does in a micro level in a match. So this ability to be resilient and to respond to adversity whenever it is encountered, to me, is is a big piece of this this mental toughness um, and really how you know, being a mental tough, mentally tough competitor and being really a great competitor because anybody can compete well when things are going well, when, when you're having a great day, when things are, uh, you know, when, when things seem to be flowing well, 
when you're winning points, um, when you're having a great season, things can be a little bit easier. But how can you respond when the going gets tough on that day or during that challenging month or, or season or whatever it may be? Um, having the ability to respond time and time again to adversity, to those challenging moments um, is, is how I would start to break it down. So that for me, that first um, attribute is resiliency. What, what, what are your thoughts on that, Brian? Yeah, I know. I think that's obviously an important one. Like you said, there's always going to be moments like that in, in matches. And I think when we talk about training players, you know, I think there are some maybe even lower level behaviors that we can be working on, or maybe not even lower level. Maybe the first one I would say is, um, is training your perspective, you know, yep. having, you know, a good personal philosophy around the idea that that these things will happen. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, my favorite mindsets for dealing with adversity is, is the embrace the challenge mindset. So, you know, if, uh, somebody makes a bad call that, 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 that's, you know, unfortunate and we can't change it, but can you just say, all right, fine, I accept it. I'm going to embrace this opportunity as an opportunity to play better. You know, and sort of is, is really change yep. that adversity into maybe an opportunity to, to play better. I think also, you know, being resilient and having these types of perspectives gives you an opportunity, again, to focus on the things that you can control. So as soon as I face a bit of adversity, it's got to be all right, having the right perspective on it and now doing something within my control to react to it. So I think it kind of fits in nicely with, with both of those things. So you know, very important characteristic for sure of mental toughness. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would agree that, you know, thinking about coming back to, Hey, what, what can I do to what, what is within my control to try to improve the situation even just a little bit. I'm having a, you know, tough time this past month or two. Um, what can I do to start to push that ball a little bit forward to start to improve things. Maybe it has to do with, maybe I want to have that conversation with my coach that I've been putting off um, that I've been dreading. Maybe I want to go for a run um, for the first time in a few months and just start that process of getting back into it again. Um, you know, what, what is within my control that I can, that I can do to, to start pushing things in the right direction. Yeah. And um, I think one other thing, Josh, cause we've been talking about standards, like, Facing adversity is not an excuse to let your standards slip. I so like if that. you have high standards on your self-talk, your body language, your routines, and other aspects of your performance, you don't want to let you know the appearance of adversity distract you from keeping your standards high. And in fact, maybe it's just that's how you respond to adversity is by maintaining your high level in your standards. Yep. That's, uh, that's a great point. That is a great point. Um, so that, that, that's really that, that first piece for me, the, the resiliency and that ability to bounce back and, and respond. Um, the, the second piece is, is more the emotional piece and uh, the ability to manage emotions um, really, really on the, on the court and the ability to, to reset. Um, again, and to, to me, this is a little bit linked to that first piece in terms of, it is inevitable that we will have those ups and downs, those ebbs and flows. But how do we respond in terms of, in terms of our behavior, in terms of how we manage 
those emotions? Are we letting them get to us in terms of our self-talk? Are we showing that outwardly through body language that, um, you know, that, that our emotions are getting to us? Um, maybe there's a call that we disagree with. Are we after the, for the following 10 minutes after that call, are we moping around the court with our head down and slamming balls into the, the back fence? Um, or are we able to, you know, put on the demeanor in terms of our body language of, um, you know, of rising above that? Um, are we able to not let any of the negativity from that moment slip out and, you know, have a, some sort of outward outburst? Um, we've talked in the past how in, um, in team settings, whether that be um, a USTA team or college or high school, that there, there are actually moments where your behavior and your inability to manage emotions can actually influence the people around you in terms of the score. Um, so to me, that ability to manage emotions, both positive and negative, and stay um, even keel and stay focused in that moment, really, um, and reset when necessary are, are really critical to competing at a high level um, day in, day out. And uh, yeah, the, to, to me, that, that emotional piece and that ability to manage those positive, negative, anxious, um, doubtful, whatever sorts of emotions you might be experiencing, um, but being able to handle all of those um, in stride is um, that, that that's sort of that that second piece to me in terms of being a, a great competitor, a mentally tough competitor. Yeah, and I I, I, I agree. I think that um, where those emotions come from, though, for for different people may be different, right? So some people might just naturally be more emotional in some regards, and then um, on the other side, maybe not even on the other side, but another dimension of that is might be like what you place importance in during a match, right? So I think, for example, I'll look at my own career. I was a, an emotional player um, when I was younger, you know, teenage years into my 20s. Um, and the issue wasn't emotional immaturity. Like, you know, and the way I figured this out, Josh, is I, I tried to just, when I was a teenager, just suppress my emotions. And that 100% didn't work. I did suppress my emotions, but I also had no fight. Right. Didn't care. Um, so I, what I learned later, and you mentioned the word resetting, that was the key for me. Is that you know it was sort of twofold. One was I was putting way too much importance in what had just happened, and not enough importance in what was right in front of me. And so my emotions were all tied as reactions, and as opposed to learning to respond to what was going on. And so by shifting my what I valued to the present moment from yep. the past, um, I was able to contain my emotional reactions and to become very calm. And that resetting that you mentioned was really the important piece for me. I had to do it after every point. I had to to reset and just forget and just go, go back to the what's important now. So I feel like, you know, there's in terms of emotional management, there, there are a lot of different little things that go into, you know, each one of us figuring out how we do manage that, that piece. Um, but it is, 
clearly very important. And you mentioned the, the college tennis thing we discussed with Bob Dallas, the idea of emotional contagion, mm-hmm. how they, that's why they do positive response training because um, they may, you know, positive responses may not have necessarily the same sort of uh, effect as negative responses, but they know that negative responses do have a negative effect on neighboring courts. So really important that that we learn to to not only manage our emotions for ourselves but also for our teammates. Absolutely, and again, this is I, I like the I like that you brought up that you know there are individual differences in terms of some people are more naturally emotional, um, and some people are are less. And it's not about if somebody is more on the emotional side, it's not about suppressing that. It's more about harnessing that and you know, utilizing that, letting that fuel you in a, I would say in a, in a controlled way and yeah, not, not productive letting that, way, right? Productive way. Exactly. Not, not letting, not getting out of control, not, um, you know, letting that consume you. Um, but being able to utilize that, um, in terms of your motivation, in terms of your intensity and your effort, um, rather than losing a big point and let and having that explosion. Um, so, so, um, yeah, it, it's about, again, using that in a productive way and being able to, to channel that, um, I, I think is, is really important. Um, so for me, that, um, that last piece, again, the, um, we, we talked about resilience, we talked about, um, that emotional control and being able to manage emotions. Um, and, and to me that, that last piece is consistency, um, being able to consistently perform, and perform at a high level and maintain a high level and a high standard of performance. Um, and I, I sort of think of this in, in terms of different areas. I think of this in terms of how we practice on a day-to-day basis. Um, are we bringing that mindset of that 1% improvement to practice today um, and, and each and every day um, where we're trying to you know, work on a certain area of our game and get that, that area just a little bit better um, and we've talked before, um, actually, you know, in, in our most recent episode before this, but in, in the past also about deliberate practice, um, having a training journal, having, you know, a training log, really keeping track of our practices and our improvements, having a clear focus and intention for that given day. Um, so I, I, th- I think that that consistency and the ability to maintain a high level of performance starts at practice and starts at, um, you know, with, are we doing everything at practice, you know, maximizing our time at practice, um, in order to give ourselves the best chance to, to be competing at a high level Mm -hmm. and not, you know, that there's that famous quota that we, you know, we, we play or we compete like we practice. Um, so if we're not taking things seriously, if we're joking around for, uh, hitting tweeners and trick shots, you know, nothing wrong with the occasional tweener, but, but too many, um, during practice and not going for the types of shots and making the types of decisions that we would want to make in a match, then we can't expect ourselves to magically make the right decisions, um, in a high pressure environment. So, um, so to me, that consistency piece really starts with practice. Um, it even includes the the types of behaviors and the choices that we make off the court, um, whether that be nutrition, hydration, sleep, um, 
other sorts of mental training that we can do off court, including visualization, mindfulness, um, things like that, uh, self-talk, um, affirmations, whatever that may be. Um, and, and then it's also about when, when we're out on court competing during that match, um, do we, are we utilizing the mental, the mental skills that we've developed? Um, to me, you know, what we are, it's inevitable that there will be days where you feel better or play better than others. But to me, a big reason for utilizing mental skills is to bring, is to lessen the difference between those bad days, those days where you're not feeling it and those better days, those good days where you're, you are feeling good. To me, it's lessening that gap between those better days and those worst days, because even on the worst days, you have the, the, the tools, the skill set to, uh, to help bring you, pull you out of there, to help bring you out of those moments. Maybe it's um, self-talk in, in certain moments of a match. Maybe it is, um, you know, having a, a certain routine that you come back to point, point, and point, point in and point out, um, or even during a changeover. But having the tools that, hey, if today, if I, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and everything's um, not going well in this very moment, I have some, some skills and I have some tools that are at my disposal that I can utilize right now. I'm not helpless out here without any sort of resources or any sort of tools that I can utilize. But I've been, I've been training these. I've been working with a sports psychology professional. I've been talking to my coach. Um, I have a game plan here where, you know, I, where I have thought about these scenarios, these, you know, I'm down five, two in the second set. Okay. What can I do here? Um, is it a matter of changing up my, my game plan, my, my playing style? Is it a matter of simply more intensity? Maybe I'm not moving my feet enough. Um, you know, I, I think there's definitely an awareness piece of being aware enough to notice what's going on or what maybe is going wrong in terms of making the adjustment. Um, but you know, I, I think to me that that last piece of the consistency, other than what's done in practice, other than what's done off court is when you're actually competing, being able to utilize those, those mental skills that have been trained and have been practiced and being able to draw from them during competition, um, being aware enough to, know and recognize what is needed and then being able to utilize them and implement them in, in the moment. I think consistency speaks to the necessity of routines, rituals, Mm -hmm. habits, having systems, um, that you're not just winging it every day. Um, that you, you know, let's say you're an elite athlete. Um, you don't wake up at say seven in the morning and, and wonder, okay, what I, I wonder what I'm doing today. <laughs> you know, you know, um, what, what is going to happen. And, um, I think this is one of the reasons why we, you know, why players often will seek out mental training or, you know, one of the sort of selling points of, of mental skills training is that it can help bring more consistency to your performances through the introduction of, different systems, different routines, different habits, so that you can have more structured days, more structured practices. And even though maybe more structure sounds like a freedom inhibiting type of thing, it actually will end up giving you more freedom of time, freedom of uh, 
you know, you're not having to go out and now plan every day as if it's a new day. You know right. exactly what you're going to do. It will give you more mental space to be able to do what you need to do because you can just follow your routines and your habits and your systems. So I think once you start to introduce that level of consistency to your days and how you practice and then how you compete, um, very important. And you could even, Josh, take it down into a match level. Certainly being consistent as a tennis player, making fewer mistakes is a good thing. You know, Absolutely. having a higher first serve percentage is, is obviously a good thing. Uh, making more returns. So even consistency when we talk about it at that level. And we're not saying, you know, everybody should be a pusher. Um, you can still be aggressive, but be consistent in your rate of execution. Yep. So if you're an aggressive player who makes one out of 10 shots, that's not very good. <laughs> but if you're an aggressive player who, say, makes seven out of 10, okay, that, that's probably a level of, of consistency that's, that's good enough for high performance. So I think it's a, it's a really important concept. Um, the question then becomes, all right, how do I begin to introduce consistency almost as a lifestyle in order to, to, to become a better, you know, mentally tougher competitor? Right, right. Um, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up consistency, really, as, as a tennis player, in terms of you know your strokes. That if if you look, you know, if you break down a match, um, the vast majority of the time, players do have at, at least at the non-professional level, players do have more errors than than winners. Um, and you know, being able to not beat yourself and not hit yourself off the court by you know making too many errors. Um, and, and again, we're not saying that, you know, not to go for your shots or not to play aggressive, but to be aware that you are playing in a consistent manner. You're not hitting too many double faults. You're not making too many errors and, um, lacking that consistency that is needed to, um, to, to keep the point going long enough to, to win it. Um, so I, I think that's a great point, but also thinking about the, the daily habits and routines and being consistent in those, maybe that has to do with, what you, when you wake up or when you go to bed um, and, you know, some of these uh, smaller details really leads to the, ty the types of consistency um, w within your mindset and within your, your game that is going to lead to you playing at a higher level day in, day out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So j just to recap a little bit, I, my, my breakdown, and again, this is largely based on um, my dissertation, um, but really that, that first piece is the resiliency piece, being able to respond to any sort of adversity that you encounter. Um, second piece is the ability to manage emotions, um, and ultimately reset and, uh, handle those emotions in stride. And then the last piece is, um, the ability to consistently, um, maintain a high level of performance. So I think our two models are rather compatible. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as we went through yours you know there were aspects of you know maybe lower levels of mind kind of figuring into to being successful with uh, those three attributes that you identified so i think um really if we put it all together we have a fairly good and hopefully comprehensive model of what you know being a mentally tough athlete or competitor in tennis looks like there's course like i said earlier there's more there are more things that, that go into this but i think there's I think we've given people probably about, you know, seven to eight different 
things to, to focus on that are very complementary to each other um, that, could, that yep. could get, you know, people heading in the, in the right direction. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past that, um, you know, action is really the, the most important thing that it's great to identify, Hey, I have certain strengths as, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to reset and to, um, you know, my, my emotional management skills maybe are naturally at a, at a higher level than some of my other, um, attributes, or maybe the, it's the, the self-confidence piece that the unshakable self-confidence in that, um, perspective of thinking that you're capable of beating any opponent and really that, that you have the ability to, to play better than any opponent. Um, so you know, maybe it is certain areas where that you're naturally, you know, you feel that you're naturally at a higher level at, but it's, you know, it's that, it's that taking action in terms of, you know, identifying these areas, maybe that you are falling short, um, in, in terms of these different pieces, um, and, and also not, um, to me also not neglecting your strengths. You know, we, um, I, I think a lot of people, and we've talked about this in the past, people fall into this trap of constantly working on their weaknesses, constantly trying to bring their weaknesses up to a level where maybe they won't view them as a weakness. Um, but also what, what happens then is, and I think Brian, you've made this point before is, you know, then you start to become mediocre. Every, everything is at a, you know, mediocre sort of middle of the road level um, where we want to be building on our strengths. We want to um, you be utilizing those strengths and continue to build on them. Um, so, you know, maybe there are certain areas that naturally are, you're, you're, you're feeling like you're at a higher level with, um, but the ability to, to keep working at them, to, to keep building them and strengthening them um, as, as your core attributes um, and not neglecting them just because you're already at a higher level with them. I think you're right about the action piece. That's, that's really, you know, it's great to talk about some of these things at a high level, but how do you actually put it into place? Um, you know, especially when you talk about character traits, people may think that they are, you know, are a certain way that they are respectful, et cetera. But, you know, if you can take it down to the specific action level, that really demonstrates where it is. So, um, I guess what I would say is if people have questions about, you know, how they could begin to take some actions in these different areas that we talked about, you know, for sure, email us at tennis IQ podcast at Gmail dot com and would be happy to to address that so well that's our show for today um thanks josh for discussing you know our our shared mental models of uh mentally tough competitors in tennis uh for more on today's show please check out the show notes um if you have any feedback or questions again email us at tennis iq podcast at gmail.com you can also use the twitter hashtag tennis iq Additionally, please subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, which includes YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. We also put up notifications on Instagram that we've got a new episode out. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon in our next episode. 